0: Hello, and welcome to the PR department podcast. You're through to your host, Katie Braden. And this episode, we're going to be discussing the beauty industry, where we're at, where we're going, what's changed why and my opinions on it all as a PR industry insider. Um, So for those of you who don't know um, I'm a PR obviously (laughs) by the title of the podcast you would know that Um, and my speciality if you will is hair and beauty. Um, I've been in the hair and beauty industry now for I would say just over eight years. Um, I've been freelance for coming up to seven years. Um, so yeah, I kind of know a thing or two about hair and beauty businesses, both um, B2B businesses and consumer businesses. And I've also been in the industry, I think, during one of the um, the biggest kind of changes. Um, so I thought it would be interesting to discuss. So I would have been about maybe around like two years into my um my career within hair and beauty specifically Um, before that I was in fashion so my career didn't start in hair and beauty but when I got into the industry um, around two years in we would have been coming up to that like 2015-2016 kind of beauty boom that we saw and everybody references and still sort of reminisces about to this day you know it was the era of the Kylie lip kit the Morphe collabs that your mega like YouTube beauty influencer like stars like skyrocketing to millions and millions of subscribers and all this money and you know like the benefit brand trips like those all take me back um to a very specific time um And what's interesting to me is this conversation around is the beauty industry dead has been going on since I think around like 2020, um, which would have been obviously uh, the first year where the pandemic kind of hit the Western world. Um, And of course, a lot of stores were forced to close, a lot of brands were forced to cut back on their marketing activities that been, they've been doing like brand trips and like huge influencer sponsorships. Um, people's spending habits were quite different because obviously it feels quite tone deaf to launch um, a makeup collection which a lot of you know, there was a huge trend around you'd launch this makeup collection and the star would be like this big eyeshadow palette. But when we're all in lockdown and we're not going anywhere, like, yes, of course, we're doing makeup to kind of make ourselves feel better. But are we doing like a 10 step eyeshadow routine, glam, like, look i it kind of changed um and it felt a bit weird obviously we were all in a really weird time um so that is when the conversation started to come around with people and when I say people, I would say that this conversation was sparked mostly by some of the biggest sort of um, leaders in the space. So like your Jeffrey Stars, your James Charles, your Jacqueline Hills, you know, all of these people who have made their millions quite quickly after that 2015-16 beauty boom. They're kind of coming out in 2020 and starting to say, you know, the beauty industry is dead. And it's like, okay, so first of all, I'm a little bit critical of that. Um, You know, the beauty industry was a billion dollar business here in the UK, you know, before 2015. And it will be after it's quote unquote dead now here in 2022 and beyond. Um, The people who are saying it are people who have also gone through like quite public scandals and cancellations and I think that has had an impact on their personal earning like for example if you take Jeffree Star for example he's now not getting these huge Morphe collabs you know James Charles was also pulled from Morphe which was huge huge you know millions of millions dollar deal for them um So in their eyes, they're not making their money, so they probably want to move out of the beauty space because they're losing their beauty followers and they're losing their beauty sponsorships. So by diversifying their content, you know, for Jeffree Star launching a skincare line, for James Charles changing his channel into a more lifestyle content um you know you've seen the same thing with content creators like for example Laura Lee she was full-on beauty for a long time got cancelled and now of course she still does her beauty but the majority of her content is lifestyle clothing you know she has a podcast she's had to diversify um so I think the people who are saying that come from a very specific um perspective and it's not necessarily from a industry insider profit based um, sort of amalgamation. It's like their personal view. So a lot of uh, news channels then started to cover this idea of is the beauty industry dead? And I've been reading those over the past few days in preparation for this podcast, just to like gather other opinions outside of my own and some, you know, looking over some stats and things. Because to me, whilst the beauty industry as we knew it is very much dead um I feel like the evolution that we've seen in the beauty industry especially in the last two years is actually huge um there's been such an evolution and I think the people who have been able to evolve and keep up with the times um are still thriving and and Profiting. Um, of course, you can't ignore as well that there are a lot of brands, some of them, you know, more surprising than others, that have closed, you know, after the pandemic and at the start of us entering recession. Um, And that is quite heartbreaking to see. But when you actually look at those brands, you have to think, did they evolve? Did they move with the times? Are they of the now? And a lot of them just were not. They were quite stagnant. They couldn't move forward. And obviously, with the recession and the pandemic, that obviously had a knock on effect. Also Brexit for here in the UK has had a huge impact because obviously supply chain and ingredients and packaging, you know, it affects it all. So we've had a real shake up and that's why I think it's actually the most interesting time for the industry as opposed to it being dead. I think that's quite like a defeatist attitude. So that's my opinion sort of on the topic in general. So now what I'm going to do is delve into just different elements, um, and how I think it's all working. So back in 2015-16, right up to the start of the pandemic, you had this kind of trend of like hardcore makeup lovers who would hoard makeup and buy makeup. Um, There was lots of collectors. um, You know, I remember on YouTube, there was this era where they would do like beauty room tours, and they would have Everyone will know what I'm talking about when I start describing this, but the, like, white IKEA drawers with the clear... Um draw dividers and it was like this is my bronzer drawer, and this is my eyeshadow drawer, and like you've never seen so much makeup in your life like it's crazy it's enough makeup that like nobody would ever use in a lifetime but it's all stored there and it's actually wild like you don't see that anymore do you really like somebody will have like a vanity with like a lot of product but it was literally on the same scale as like a walk-in wardrobe actually quite wild when you think about it um but that was the vibe and you know your average consumer was kind of aspiring to you know they were buying every makeup release because they wanted a slice of this like beauty influencer life I suppose um but now I think we've seen a big shift in terms of consumer interest towards skincare um That's, I think, quite obvious off the back of the pandemic. You know, we were at home. We were able to pay attention to things that we may not have paid attention to before, i.e. our skin. A lot of people weren't wearing makeup because they were at home all the time. They were able to, you know, everyone was working from home. So you're able to do these kinds of treatments. Um, I think a lot of beauty content shifted towards at-home stuff, which was more like feel-good, self-care, you know, glow-from-within. Or that kind of jazz, um, as opposed to, as I said at the start of the podcast, like a 10 step eyeshadow routine that doesn't feel appropriate. Um, so then brands are kind of echoing that message. Um, you know, they're shifting into like people who have makeup brands are now launching skincare lines, for example. Like Fenty Beauty has now got Fenty Skin, Kylie Cosmetics has now got Kylie Skin. It's, you know, it's kind of like a natural evolution for them to keep up with this shift in what the consumer wants. Um, And even with makeup uh, products, it's more geared towards the real. Um, So I think across like tech, makeup, all industries, really, there's a real um, call out for the real and less filtered. And consumers are very like at the breaking point where they don't want to be lied to. And we're really moving away from this like Instagram perfect aesthetic you know gen z is very much about real skin and unfiltered pictures and we love blurry instagram shots all that jazz so i think there's a reflection when it comes back to um what brands are choosing to bring out so there's a less focus on like a full coverage foundation and a more focus on like a skin filter or a skin glow and you know those types of products like i've never seen uh so much uh diversity in terms of products like cc cream you know like you you used to go to a makeup counter and they'd have like one cc cream if you were lucky if the brand even did a cc cream at all and now you've got like a full color range and like options of cc cream you know that kind of says it all in terms of the evolution over the last kind of two years and where we're going in terms of makeup in particular as an example Um, i think it also is the same with hair like um obviously I feel like hair salons and beauty salons as long as you're keeping up with your education in terms of you're able to you know adopt the latest technology the latest products the latest trends there will always be like a high demand for these services like people are always going to want their haircut they're always going to want you know the latest hair treatment or shampoos or extensions or you know when you come into aesthetics you know when everyone was getting like the Russian lip flip and all this jazz as long as you can keep up and have with those things i think in salon services are always going to be required to a certain extent um but you can also see it through like the hair care products um like a lot of brands are focusing on deep treatments you know you've seen a huge boom of um scalp treatments you know overnight stuff like there's a huge emphasis on healthy hair which has been booming for a fair few years now but we're getting the innovations to go with it for example one of my brands silk just launched their heatless curler you know people are really really trying to take care of themselves inside out skin hair like you know even a bit of a uh diversion here on the topic but even with like gen z moving away from alcohol you know like you look at the boomer era and it was like a night couldn't go by without a bottle of wine and you've got the Gen Z audience who are just not interested in drinking. Like there's a real emphasis on wellness and health. And I think that comes from you know, health is wealth being very much at the forefront of how people were thinking and feeling throughout the two, three years of the pandemic and still now, obviously, they say the pandemic is over, but it's still very, very fresh in our minds and how we how we think, how we operate and our um our what's it called, our relation to things like illness and how we can make ourselves feel better. Um, I could now delve into how you know mental health is changing and all that jazz but that is another like two hour long podcast so let's keep on track coming back to beauty and makeup um i think that is a really good example and kind of a nice like cross-section of the beauty industry um there used to be a huge emphasis on collections and trending pieces. Like if you take Kylie Cosmetics as an example, and the reason why I use her is because her whole business model was really based around this structure. And other brands echoed it, but I think hers, it was it was it's super clear. So we used to get, you know, a Kylie birthday collection, a Halloween collaboration, a Christmas collection, and it was very, you know, Every season, every marketing event, there was a collection. And usually the collection is centered around an eyeshadow palette, and then you've got a couple of lipsticks, a lip gloss, or this and that, and maybe a few new products. But essentially it was the same thing, rejigged in new packaging with a theme. Um, or you would have like a new collection of like lipsticks. Again, same shades, same things we've seen before different packaging different colors whatever and although so one of the main things that was super successful about this is it's a great PR story so press um globally they love newness so new launches um you know new products things that are really going to be eye-catching and a, a trending story so something like a Kylie Cosmetics collection you know that's a big PR piece a big press piece that is going to do really well so they're going to cover it so again great marketing um but I think this we're seeing a huge shift in this and a company like Kylie Cosmetics I think is really really gonna sort of bear the brunt of this shift um because consumers I think are really looking for from from brands at the moment across all areas of beauty Is staple products and innovations. So, like brands having ownership over certain things. Like, and what I mean by that is, for example, like when I think of Rare Beauty, so Selena Gomez's brand, I think of the blushes because everybody is obsessed with the Rare Beauty blushes because they are a specific formula, an innovation that is specific to Rare Beauty, and they're not bringing out, you know, a Christmas collection and this and that and the other. They might add a few shades, whatever they might do it like a limited edition packaging but the the crux of it is that they do amazing blushes and everybody knows also you've got brands like Jones Road that do what the foundation which is a really unique formula for a very specific skin type and need Um, you know you use it in a very specific way and again they are known for that like that is what they're known for so it's kind of having these innovations and staple products that are going to be used day to day and they kind of become like the consumer's go-to like if you love the jones road what the foundation you're not going to use anything else like you're going to repurchase it over and over again and i think that is kind of another trend that we're seeing is the repurchasing like finding a product that you love and works for you and repurchasing it over and over and over again and not so much of the kind of 2017-18 mindset i would say where Every single time you bought a makeup product or a skincare product, you were buying something different from a different brand because you wanted to try so many things out. I know I, for one, went through a phase. I think it was like... 2018-19 you know heading into the pandemic where my skincare collection was wild because I was just constantly buying things I was constantly be being like scooped into new launches and I was watching a lot of skincare influencers and I was buying what they were using and then it wasn't working for my skin and it took me a really really long time to find I think I use four products yeah, four products I use in my skincare routine and I haven't changed them in probably two years and they are the best and I repurchase them over and over and over again. And while style, you know, I might buy like an essence or a serum or something to try out, but my core products I would not change unless something incredible came along. And I think that is the the consumer mentality. I mean, we're all looking for our essentially like holy grails of products the ones that we love personally um and that's another thing it's so personal isn't it like finding what works for you although it's hard once you found it you're kind of sticking to it um which i think is very different to say a few years ago where we were constantly we kind of had the same ideology as like members of press where we just wanted to try new things all the time like we were swept up in the new launches. whereas now it has to have meaning and it has to be something that people go oh yeah I need that as a staple which isn't a brown eyeshadow palette like I'm sorry to say it um so coming back to the kind of marketing of it all and how that has shifted so we're seeing a lot less like huge sponsorship collaborations ambassadorships from big influencers um whilst they're still there for the brands can afford them that can afford them um they're not really, like, you just don't see it as much. Like, we went through a phase where just before the pandemic, it was like every other thing was a collab or an edit or um, a sponsored post and this and that. And whilst we're still seeing ads, yes, they're not on this huge scale. And I think that's I'm going to come into like the financial side of it a little bit later where I'll come back to this but to put it into perspective so this is very much for the brands that can afford it and the same as how we so I think sorry I'm like rambling a little bit here to reach the point but I'm organizing it in my brain as I'm saying it true podcast style (laughs) so when I was talking about earlier you know you're huge like you are mega influencers who made their millions from like platforms like YouTube um, we're not seeing so many of those anymore you know there's there are a few influencers who have like shot to stardom there's not as many though and the reason for this is this I think I think there's been a kind of like spread of butter like effect across all things across brands profit across marketing across influencer success so instead of you having like for example five people sitting at the top who are the one percent and they're like millionaires brands influencers alike you're seeing 35 influencers who are making a decent wage and are able to live off it but they're not like Molly Mae you know and I always use her as an an example because she is a bit of an enigma and she is just the perfect example for things when we're talking about influencers sometimes um but yeah for example like you've got Michaela who I've spoken about on the podcast before um she is one of the few who have kind of shot stardom in the beauty industry via TikTok um and she uh was in a recent scandal because of some comments that she made about influencers doing no, not she didn't say that. She said influencers, like you wouldn't want to be an influencer, like implying that it was hard work and the sound went viral and she basically got cancelled for like five days. It was quite crazy. Um, but whilst that was all going on, um, someone reached out to her agent um, and asked to do like a sponsored post on behalf of a brand and the figure that they received in return, so for one TikTok video, they were quoted £85,000. So... I obviously being in my position, that doesn't surprise me like at all, because I know what kind of figures get thrown around behind the scenes, like even for your small influencers who have like, 10s of 1000s of followers, not massive engagement, don't make loads of sales, like you're still talking 1000s of pounds. But, you know, for someone like Michaela, like, yeah, I I, honestly, I would expect that amount of money. But then that brings it into perspective of like, so who's paying for that then? Because it's not, it's not the smaller brands. Like, smaller brands do not have £85,000 laying around to pay one influencer for one TikTok video. Like, if they had £85,000, that's probably their That's a really big marketing budget, like a very big marketing budget. And put it into perspective, right, I work with companies that, like, they turn over millions of pounds a year multi-millions probably some of them and not even like they don't have marketing budgets like that like nowhere near nowhere near and if they did it would have to cover everything like all of their campaign shoots for the year all of their social media content creation all of their like traditional ads all of their influencer marketing like it would have to cover so many areas it ends up like disintegrating into nothing like it's re- it's it's a lot of money to put on one person so when you think about it like that there are A very, very, very select amount of brands that can pay that. And they are your big corporate billion dollar brands. Um, So that gives you an idea of the scale of businesses that are able to work on that level that we were seeing in your 2015, 16, 17, when you were seeing these big, like, for example, the benefit brand trips like those are the kinds of brands, you know, the ones that fly like 10 influencers out to Bali for a week, like those are the guys. It's not the smaller brands. And as I was saying in my point before, in terms of like the big, big, big brands, they're probably losing a bit of profit. But it means that your kind of mid-level and small brands are able to come up and everybody can earn a decent amount of money. Like are people becoming millionaires overnight? Not really but everybody is able to exist in the space just earning slightly less so like there's a better distribution basically of sponsorships and money in my opinion um so it instead of these big 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 like influencer boomers we'll call we'll call them they're not boomers but you know what i mean um i would say it's more about the real person like it's kind of come back to our old school method of marketing which is word of mouth but The word of mouth comes from a micro-influencer, if that makes sense. So I think micro-influencers, TikTok viral moments, you know, those are the things that are really successful for brands at the moment. Also, I've spoken about this in previous podcasts, but brands taking back their own power and becoming the influencer... Like, the reason why we used to work with influencers as brands before was to get the numbers and the traffic. But now, if the brand can create influencer-level engaging content, they can create their own numbers and their own traffic. So they've kind of cut the middleman in terms of working with, like, £85,000 worth of influencers. Um, So that's also a difference. Um, I would say that um viral moments as well really come from innovation interesting and different products um so we've pivoted away from the youtube beauty community which obviously drove these things so heavily before and now we're relying kind of on like how viral you can go which is far less plotted and planned and more based on just what is relevant at the time um And again, it comes back to those like innovative, different products, like the Jones Road, what the foundation is a really, really good example, because that product, when it launched, it literally went viral. Not everybody was positive about it. You know, there was a lot of negativity around it as well. However, it was a viral moment because people were intrigued by it and they wanted to try it. So coming back to the the financial side of it all which i said i'd delve into later in the podcast well here we are Um, I was listening to a podcast with Grimes recently um, and she was talking about the music industry and how um, she would much rather, instead of like exactly what I described earlier about like your five big musicians sitting at the top being like millionaires, billionaires, and then there's like not a lot of money or space for anybody underneath. She said instead of that, the technology that we're now um, able to get our hands on is like, for example anybody can like hop onto garage band and make a song with that technology becoming like more free and available you're going to end up with a lot more musicians and instead of the wealth being held by like the top top musicians that are funded by record labels um there's going to be a distribution so there's going to be way like hundreds and hundreds of musicians but everybody is going to earn like less fundamentally but enough to subs Uh, sustain themselves and be a professional musician which I thought was super interesting and I think it also parallels what we're seeing in the industry in our industry you know hair and beauty with um, with brands like the, obviously there is like a grip on the wealth at the top with the corporate companies but there is a lot of space for smaller brands to come through and I think because people are understanding that they can launch their new business you know there's more regular um, information about regularly available information about like suppliers and how you make products and distribution and marketing and social media is given a tools to people for people to promote their businesses without taking out like masses amounts of marketing and ads, you know, we're seeing that distribution of profit, um, but it means that these uh, smaller brands they're able to sustain themselves and be profitable, but they're not necessarily like become a millionaires overnight. Essentially is what I'm saying. But there's capacity for new brands to come through, which obviously means more innovation, more interest and more people talking about it. Um so I wanted to cover the idea of the lipstick effect and um I kind of like hate the term because I've read it so many times over the past couple of weeks. Obviously, the country's been in recession for a while. Um, Things are getting worse. Like, I hate to be, um, I hate to bring it up, but like, especially in the UK, the state of our economy right now is really bad. Um, You know, a a huge percentage of people are in fuel poverty already, and we haven't even hit winter like it's looking bleak so everybody is looking for ways to cut back um we are not in the realm of like splurging on luxury items and I've noticed myself as a consumer when I'm seeing like oh I just bought my new house in London or let's unbox my new five Balenciaga bags I'm, I'm finding that content really great for me at the moment um And I'm just like, I don't really want to see that (laughs) like because having empathy for people who are genuinely really struggling. I'm just like, how out of touch do you have to be anyway? um, The lipstick effect. So when a country goes into recession, there's this thing called the lipstick effect, which is essentially, if you don't know, buying small things, for example, lipstick to make yourself feel better. Um and apparently that is how the beauty industry has kind of boomed like even when the country's gone through hard times which like I can totally see you know even through the pandemic like everyone was like oh you know no one's going to buy beauty they still did we were still buying things it would just it just shifted slightly as to what we were interested in and the price point you know people were considering the the economy and where they were standing sort of with their with their finances um so I think we're seeing a very very similar thing happen but not necessarily with lipstick so here's my little like trend prediction if you will so i think the 2023 equivalent is this like really like bold eye trend that we've been seeing um it was all over fashion week it has been around for a while but i think we're going to see a continuation of it and basically it's a really bold eye look that only requires like a little fun colored eyeliner or like a colored eyeshadow like cheap gems glitter like very diy with paired with almost naked skin and I think this is something that is like super fun, it's creative, it's something that you can just mess around with, it makes you feel better and it costs next to nothing and it also you can do it using anything that you have in your makeup bag already, it's just like a slightly more innovative and creative way of doing it. So I think that is going to be our version of the lipstick effect is we're going to have these like really cool outlandish looks that just ultimately make us feel better um so yeah touching on that i think in terms of going back to the title of the podcast is the beauty industry dying i mean the beauty industry has prevailed time and time again through like the hardest times and it's all through shifting and evolving and answering the calls of the consumer like what do people need right now to make themselves feel better and that's not vain and that's not you know being a surface level person that like lipstick makes you feel better It's just, you know, we live in a capitalist society. We're always going to be consumers. And if buying these like small little things that we can use day to day or even just as a treat make us feel better then it is going to get us through essentially like quite dark times, Um, unprecedented times, honestly, if I hear that one more time, I might implode. Um, But yeah, brands that understand this, I think will prevail um, and boom. Um, you know we're learning that customers don't want the same colored eyeshadow over and over again in different containers which 2015 to 18 we were happy to accept and we were excited about it but now moving into 2023 that's just not what we want and the companies that understand that and innovate based on consumer trends and society trends and tech trends and All of that, they are the ones who will grow, essentially. And I think if you can be flexible, evolve and innovate, um, you know, just look at like, for example, your rare beauty, like how successful that has been. Um, you know, it was at the start. It was just another celebrity makeup brand, but because of its amazing formulas and their understanding of what the consumer wants from them, they've been able to make a really successful company. You know, Rare almost now stands completely aside from Selena Gomez. Like they don't need Selena Gomez to be successful. It's successful in its own right. Similarly to Fenty, which obviously is a few years further into its um, into its life than Rare. But yeah, I hope that was interesting and I hope that maybe some of those points have sparked, you know, some thoughts in your own mind. Um and yeah, fundamentally the beauty the beauty industry is um is not dead far from it. Um so yeah, I'll see you on the next one.